This is Rio of Madison Rising, and you're listening to our acoustic version of the Star Spangled Banner here on KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes in bright stars through the perilous fight oh the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rockets ran When we first begun, 
You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome to God's Pure Word of Faith. I'm Richard Harden, and again, I want to thank the Lord and the management of KLRN Radio for this great opportunity to share God's Word with you today. Uh, today I want to be sharing with you about uh, the twofold purpose of God. The twofold purpose of God to salvation and to service. Um, I'll be sharing first about faith and grace uh, and then election and predestination. Because our uh, the first purpose of God is that he wants us to be united to him. That's what he's created us for, uh, to fellowship with him. But he wants us to make the choice to come to him. See, and so that's where the faith and grace comes in. We must, you know, come to God, receive his spirit in our heart to become a child of God. We're all born uh, with our hearts empty of any of God's spirit. And that's what's called total sin. Because, see, sin is separation from our heart from God. So we're born empty of any spirit of God. But as we grow and he teaches us about himself and he reveals himself to us, like it says in Romans chapter 1, that uh, we're all without excuse, you know, that the glory of God is just manifested and shown to us throughout the cre- creation. But also it says in Second Titus um, 2.11 that, not Second Titus, excuse me, in Titus 2.11, <laughs> uh, that the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men. He, he makes his uh, awareness to us, you know, to where we can recognize him. So we're without excuse. But anyway, that that's his first purpose, that we make the choice to come to him, humble ourselves, invite him to come into our heart, and then he creates in us a new heart, a new life. And then the second purpose of God 
is like in Second Timothy 1 9 after he saved us you know we've turned to him got forgiveness of our sin he saved us in Second uh, Timothy 1 9 says he saved us and called us to a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace created in Christ Jesus before the world began. So you are very special in God's eyes. I am very special. He has a special holy calling for you of service. But for each of us first, we must get our salvation worked out and seek that holy calling and make sure that we find it and that we're on a path to it. So that's the reason I'm combining these two areas this morning. First, faith and grace on salvation, coming to God and receiving His Spirit in our heart and becoming a child of God. And then the last portion of it then, election and predestination. And you'll see when we start talking about election and predestination, uh, the first time they're talked about is talked about uh, Jacob and Esau and how God... God's purpose for them was his service that he was talking about. Now, so uh, stick around with me, but combining these four subjects, you know, you'll get a lot of scriptures now from this. And in Proverbs 4.22, it says, God's words are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So you should be receiving a lot of life this morning and health to your flesh. Now, let's... Start out on faith and grace, and the first purpose of God is that we should all repent and turn to Him. Repent, that is, repent from our sins. We want to turn from our sins and turn of our heart, you know, that we were born with, and receive Him into our heart, and then we become a child of God. Like Galatians 4 6 says, And because your sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then heir of God through Christ. See, so we'll discuss about faith and grace, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back and have uh, election and predestination. I like to share about faith and grace, because faith and grace... Uh, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that and we need to be able to explain that to anybody we meet and be able to share with them because that is so very important. So I want to share you a few uh, uh, concepts of faith, you might call it, uh, just what faith is. So often people will say, place your faith in Jesus. Well, just what are you placing in Jesus? You can't just place your faith, see. Faith is not something you place here, place there. Now, your confidence is you can have confidence in the stock market. You can have confidence in your uh, job and then the next day get laid off. You can have confidence in a, a family member and all of a sudden they'll do something you just never expect. So, see, you can have confidence, but that's not 100%. Faith is 100% because... What is it? Uh, Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. See, faith, the seed of your faith, the seed of my faith, our faith, is God's word. Christ is the seed. God's living word, Christ. Um, and like, for example, in the Hebrews, what is it, 11.26, where the scripture says that uh, Moses esteemed the riches of Christ greater than all the wealth of Egypt. Christ, God's living word, speaking to him. He says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and things like this. So faith in us comes from us receiving God's living word that he speaks to us into our heart. So, say, Like, for example, if God tells me to go do something today, I receive his living word then into my heart, and then I just obey, accept, and go. I, I can't place that faith anywhere. Faith is not something that you can take and put here and put there and, and choose what you're going to do. It's so many people say, well, place your faith in Christ. No, you don't have any faith until you receive Christ into your heart. See, that that's what is faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, but only if you receive what you've heard from God possibly into your heart. 
faith is not an object like you know money in your pocket you can just pull out your billfold and and you know pull out a few dollars and place your dollars here and place some money here and place some money here you know that's not faith and and people that say that do not understand really then what they're talking about about faith because you can't place it here and there now, that's one of the big things you'll hear if you listen to christian television christian radio and even your ministers and stuff it sounds so good when when a preacher is making an appeal and saying place your faith in god place your faith in jesus that sounds so good but see it's not correct because you can't place faith anywhere you receive faith when you receive his words into your heart and then all you can do with it then is accept and obey and respond to those words correctly when God told Jehoshaphat you know it's my battle not yours march out of the gate singing praises Jehoshaphat received those words to faith and they did that the next morning they got up the next morning they went and marched out of the gate see but there wasn't anything that they could you know place the faith here and place it now they placed their trust in God when he when God told them in second Chronicles chapter 20 verse you know that that it's my battle not yours just march out of the gate singing praises and watch the victory okay they accepted his words to faith they went to bed that night got up the next morning got together and started marching out it says when they began to sing and to praise then God said embushments against those three armies that were surrounding him but see they trusted God enough to accept his words to faith. And see, that's the difference between trust and faith. I've heard people say that trust and faith are just basically, you know, the same thing. You know, it just uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're interchangeable almost, but they're not. Do you trust God enough to accept his words and march out of the gates without weapons? Well, Joseph and them did. They placed their trust in God and said, yes, Lord, we will. See, their whole life was on the line. If they walked out of those gates and got out there and then God, you know, uh, didn't back them up, those three armies would have slaughtered them, then went inside the city and slaughtered their wives and children or whatever like that. Uh, that have been a, totally wiped out. Now, but when we place our, listen, I said the same thing, listen, we place our faith. We don't have the faith, but when we, when, when we hear God's word and he then, uh, we accept his word he will back his word up to us and it won't fail like the real quick like here Ephesians chapter 6 16 where it's talking about the um, whole armor of God put on a whole armor of God and it says to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked see when we're surrounded by the armor of God God's living word those fiery darts won't get through it so if, if you're having some darts get through your shield of faith then you've got some kind of hole in it or something you've got uh, maybe a little bit of unbelief over here about somebody uh, and the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 2 10 11 forgive others lest you give Satan advantage so if you're giving Satan advantage in your life you may have a great shield of faith in other areas but you've got a hole there that's not protecting you because you're giving Satan advantage. Uh, it says, you know, do all things without complaining and arguing. If you've got a problem there, you may have some holes in your shield of faith there, uh, allowing the devil to get through. In Ephesians chapter, let's see, 4, verses 26, 27, the scripture says, uh, Be angry, sin not, let not single down your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Uh, that could be a if you're holding anger and going to bed like it with it and letting it just, you know, grow inside you and everything, well, that could be a big hole there because you're allowing the devil an open door to come in, you know, because you're not getting your heart right with God. Um, husband, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, being joint heirs of grace of life, lest your prayers be hindered. See, so many things like this that we have to make choices, <coughs> excuse me, to accept or obey God's word. And when we don't accept readily and obey his word during that time that we're putting him off like we're holding unforgiveness to someone we're actually opening ourselves up to attacks of the devil and Jesus said in John 10 10 thief comes to steal kill and destroy and during that time he'll sneak things in on you and uh, also in the scripture says that uh, if we take the Lord's Supper 
you know, without having our hearts right and everything like that. The scripture says that we will, you know, uh, certainly be out of fellowship with the Lord. In fact, it says there that many sleep because of it, that many are sick and sleep because of, you know, receiving the Lord's Supper without your heart prepared and having that unforgiveness taken care of and things like this and anger against different family members or something. See, we got to come with a seeking heart and an open heart to the Lord when we fellowship with others and take the Lord's Supper and different things like this. So there's, <coughs> excuse me, things in the scriptures that we need to know that can be hindering us and causing um, so many bad things in our life, opening the door for the devil to come in and attack us. Now, even though uh, these are bad things, we need to be daily seeking the Lord and fellowshipping with Him and receiving His Word of faith. We inherit the promises by faith. That means uh, they're available to us because we're a child of God. But we have to uh, open our hearts and receive them and live by the promises. Uh, Hebrews 6.18, it says God wants us to share so much in His um, well, in his fellowship and everything like that, that he double seals the promises to us. Um, he states the promises, then he swears by an oath that he'll keep the promises. And what kind of promise am I talking to? Well, like in uh, John fifteen seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done to you. But see, we've got to learn what abiding means by receiving his word into our hearts possibly in agreement in our heart and abiding you in fellowship with him. Well, then in 1 John 3, 22, it says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we obey his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So so what is it we must do for uh, to come alive and whatever we ask, we receive? Well, be obeying his commandments, you know, loving God with all our heart, loving our neighbors, ourselves. But see, that's where the hard part comes in. Learning to love each other, says, you know, obeying his commandments and doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. And those things that are pleasing in his sight is forgiving people, praying for those that despitefully use you, you know, sharing with people throughout the daytime, you know, like his, his love and what he's done for us. So we have to do something to be able to inherit the promises that God has available to us as his children. They don't just come to us automatically. They're available automatically when we become a child of God. But we have to, well, exercise our faith or whatever you want to call it, something like that. That's We have to live by the faith. Hebrews 4.2 gives us an example here. For unto us was a gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached in them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, so even you hear the gospel at your center, that Christ is our answer, that Jesus, you know, died on the cross and, uh, shed his blood for us and everything, took the, well, the requirements of all the Old Testament sacrifices, he took them for us. And we don't have to go through those sacrifices. And we turn to him and receive his gift then of forgiveness and salvation. He sends his spirit to live in our heart and creates in us a new heart and a new life, like it's talked about in Ezekiel 36 26, where God speaking through the prophet said, the new covenant, he said, a new heart also I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. Now, see, the people of the Old Testament got forgiveness, and they got their sins covered, but we get our sins removed. We get our hearts clean, a new heart, and he puts his spirit of love in us where all that hate and lust and everything were before. So we are changed then, a new creature in Christ Jesus. We become a child of God, like Galatians 4, 6 says, And because of your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore you no more a servant, but a son, if a son, then heir of God through Christ. But see, that means we've got to respond to the gospel properly. And here in Hebrews 4, 2, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, and, and all it took to mix it in faith would be to say, Lord, please forgive me. Come into my, you know, respond to the gospel properly and ask forgiveness. Invite the Spirit of Christ to come to your heart. Commit your life to Him. Now, see, that, 
that's the only proper response to any word from God is to humble ourselves to God's word and receive it into our heart and then if it's something like a if you've never taught a Sunday school class and God asks you to you know we all had to have a first time to do anything that we've done and so the proper response then would be not you know uh, well I've never done that before I'm not qualified see that's the way Moses and Jeremiah and all the rest of the or most of the great men of the Old Testament did when they first heard God ask them to do something. But if he asks you to teach a class, you say, Lord, you know I've never done it, but I'm going to trust that uh, you'll help me do it, and I'm going to do the best I can. See, accept his word as, as best you can like that, and trust that he will help you as you do that. Now, now, you can put your trust in God, and that, that's where the is. But you don't receive the faith until you trust God and then accept his word to faith. Now, after you receive God's word to faith into your heart, like for salvation, when his words, his spirits are living words, Jesus says in John 6, 63, my words are spirit and they are life. They're living words. Uh, they're spirit. So when we receive his words by faith into our heart, then uh, they, these living words of Christ come alive in us, creating us a new heart, a new life, and that's what we call a work of grace. So grace is always the automatic response of us receiving God's living word into our heart to faith. But then when they come into our heart, we use a different word then. Uh, we could say it's a work of faith in our heart. But, you know, that's not what the Bible talks about. The, the faith is that we've accepted and positively received his living words and his spirit into our heart. And then when he comes in, another term used then to describe that action of his spirit in our heart is grace. Grace is the work of the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, Jesus, or whatever expression you want to use to uh, name God. But the work of the Spirit of Christ in our heart, the work of God in our heart, is the work of grace. Now, and that is an automatic response then to us opening our heart and receiving Him into our heart. And that's what it takes. Like it said, you know, the, they didn't mix it with faith. They heard the gospel, His living words of the gospel into their heart. So we inherit the promises by faith. We inherit salvation by faith. You know, um, we receive Him into our heart. We become children. The gospel profits us only through faith. Everything not of faith is sin. Any time God speaks to us, and we know that we should do something, you know, and it's in God's word, you know, pray for those that despitefully use us. Well, if we argue and fight, see. We're either in sin or just out of fellowship with God. Now, there's, there's a difference in sin, the way sin is used in the Scripture and the way sin is used in everyday life. In everyday life, sin is used as like a killing somebody, robbery, rape, and things like this. In the Scripture, the word sin is used as separation of the heart from God by blocking God's love from coming into your heart. Now, see, we're all born in sin. We're all born with our heart totally empty of God's love, God's spirit. But as we come of age, God brings us to the knowledge that um, we need to receive his spirit into our heart. And it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 that we're all without excuse. And um, Titus 2.11 says, the grace of God, the love of God, that bringeth salvation is pure to all men. Now when, when he brings his knowledge to us and, and that love of his words and his spirit to us to identify that we're a sinner and we need him, well then, see, we need to receive him then into our heart. Now, once he comes into our heart, Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart also will give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. We are now children of God, and the scripture says from that time on we cannot sin. Because, see, our heart will never be separated again from God. When Jesus was on the cross, he took our sin, and when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's when the Spirit of Christ left the man Jesus' heart. And Jesus, the man, died on the cross 
without Christ in his heart. He cried out in agony because he had had the Spirit in him ever since the conception of Mary, ever since this angel spoke to her the living word of God that she was going to get pregnant and do this, and she received it, be it as thou hast spoken. She received his word into her, uh, the living word Christ. She became pregnant then, conceived, you know, and uh, gave a child Jesus. And he had the spirit of Christ in him all of his life. He wasn't born empty like we are. Now, so when he was on that cross and the Spirit of Christ left him, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's when he took on our sins. See, his heart was totally separated from God. And it was such agony because he had never he had never experienced that before. But he did it for us. Now, when we receive Christ in our heart, become a child of God, we will never have that separation between us and God again. My eternal life started in 1974, and it still existed. But now listen to these scriptures that show that. In 1 John 3, 6, Whosoever abideth in him, in God, sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth has not seen him, neither knoweth him. See? See? Because it's talking about sin in the scripture. Well, in the Old Testament, they said, like, sin was missing the mark, like you try to do good, and, you know, like this and everything. But this is not... Old Testament. This is New Testament. Once Christ comes into our heart, he says he'll never lose anybody that the Father gives him. He's not coming out of our heart. There's no provision in Scripture anywhere for, for the Lord to convert our hearts back to the old, dirty hearts we had before. We can't. We'll always have that new heart, the new life, the new creature, and we'll be children of God. Like in Galatians 4, 6, says, And because your sons God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you no more a servant, but a son. If a son, then heir of God through Christ, joint heir with Jesus. And that can't be reversed. Now, in 1 John 3, 6 again, now, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. See, because our heart will never again be separated. Now, we can commit acts of sin. I could go out today and take a gun and kill somebody. I could you know, go out today and get drunk and do this or whatever or something like that. See, there's a lot of things that uh, we can still do as Christians which are referred to like iniquity. Iniquity, the uh, evil works, things like this. So often the scriptures say uh, your sins and iniquities have separated between you and your God. That was in Ephesians 59 verses 1 2 something like that. That uh, that was why the people were, you know, failing to get answers to prayer. He said, because your sins and iniquities. Now, see, they had their hearts separated from God in the Old Testament. They never received that union with God to become children of God like we do. But now we have uh, acts of sin that are evil, too. And, and those are the ones we need to take care of, like failing to forgive someone. It says in Second Second Corinthians uh, 2, 10, 11. It says, forgive others, lest you give Satan advantage. See, that's an evil act, failing to forgive somebody, because God loves that person. He loves that person. He wants to use us to that person you're holding unforgiveness to. I don't care what they did to you. God loves them and wants them to be set free of the devil's deceit that caused them to do whatever they did. And and so, see, we're out of fellowship with God then when, when we aren't working with him for that person. First uh, John 3, 9. Now listen to this. This explains it completely. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin for his seed, Christ. His seed, Christ, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. See, sin is a separation of the heart from God. We can never have our hearts separated again from God. Now, we can block his love to come into us from somebody. You know, God wants to put his love in our heart for somebody that we're holding unforgiveness to, and we can block his love for that person. And that's a work of iniquity. That's a work of, you know, evil work. Failing to seek God is an evil work. Failing to seek his holy calling and everything. But it's not sin in our life. Now, uh, it still doesn't make a difference. We need to ask God's forgiveness and get our hearts back right with God, even though it's not sin, our heart's not separated. But we're still acting like it is because we're living ungodly. You know, when we do those things. Um, again, First John 3, 9. Whosoever born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. 
but we can certainly commit acts of sin that we need to turn to the Lord and get forgiveness and keep our hearts right with the Lord so that we can walk by faith. Anytime we reject God's word, everything not of faith is sin. If we reject his word in any way, it is an act of sin in our lives, which is called iniquity for us. And we certainly don't want to be, you know, doing these things that, you know, a lot of people refer to as sins and everything as Christians. When, um, when we're trying to live as an example before others, the best we can do then is to try to, you know, um, set them the example of not sinning, not doing these things, you know, not lying, not cheating, not stealing in our everyday lives and everything, so that they will see that there's a difference between us. And, and we give someone our word, and we stand be behind our word, you know, and we, we, well, just give the example of Christ in us daily. Now, uh, so the first purpose of God in, in our lives is that we all come to him for salvation and to receive his spirit into our heart. See, because we're sinners when we're born without the spirit of Christ in our heart. So naturally he wants us to grow up as a child and learn about him and then receive his spirit into our heart and to become a child of God. And that's the only way we can become a child of God. In Ezekiel 36, 26, the scripture says, uh, that a new heart, well, God was speaking through the prophet of the new covenant that we were going to have compared to the old covenant that the people in the Old Testament has it. A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. Now, see, that's what he wants for us to do to receive his salvation. Now, so once we fulfill that, he has a purpose for us in service, and we'll discuss that right after the break, and I'll be right back. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back. Before I start into the election and predestination, I want to give just a real quick summary, some scriptures about, you know, God's desire for us to receive him as our personal Lord and Savior and become one of his children by receiving his spirit into our heart. 
uh, well, all through the ages, it's been that way, like in Isaiah 43:21. Oh, before I go, I mentioned a while ago Ephesians 59, 1 through 3, talking about our sins and iniquities are separated between uh, us and our God. That should have been Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3, where the where God was speaking to the children of Israel. They had been offering sacrifices and praying and seeking and everything. And um, then they started complaining about, Where are you, God? You haven't heard us. We've been doing all these good things. If you look in chapter, let's see, 58 of Isaiah, you'll see how they thought they were doing so great. And then God's response to them then uh, was that Isaiah 59, 1 through 3, that their sins and iniquities had separated from them and their God. And then uh, if you look over in, oh, what is it? Uh, Isaiah, no, Psalms 34, 15 said, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. See, so he was telling them, you know, back there that, you know, it, it was their sins and iniquities that were separating. Now, to. Uh, here in Isaiah 4, 3, 21, though, it says, These people I formed myself, they shall show forth my praise. And he wasn't just talking about the Jews. He it, he made a way when Solomon him and Solomon God dedicated a new temple in uh, 1 Kings 8, 41. Uh, there was a promise in there. Well, they had all kind of promises to the Jews. You know, if they just come before the temple, humble themselves and pray, God did hear and deliver them from any problem they had. But he also includes the strangers from it says here in 1 Kings 8:41. Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for the thy name's sake, do according to the stranger's call, that all people on earth may know thy name and fear thee. See, it was just God was always reaching out, and the Jews were supposed to have been then his priest to all these people around the world. Now, we as Christians are supposed to be his priests daily in our lives, but around the world of people too. But anyway, here's 1 Timothy 2.4. It says, God who would have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. And see, all men. 1 John 3.22 and 23. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe on his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. His commandment. Second Peter three nine, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Titus two eleven, the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared to all men. Ezekiel thirty three eleven, say unto them as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why shall you die? Romans one twenty, Paul says that. Here, for the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even God's eternal power and Godhead, so that they or we are without excuse. See, everybody, God reveals himself to us as we start growing up, and then he wants our positive response of you know, coming to him and wanting to receive his spirit in our heart. Uh, Matthew but see, the reason is, though, that he's made it that way is he wants people to come to him. He wants children that wants him. He wants people that, you know, serve him because of their love for him and his love for them. He wants that union and everything. Uh, he had the creation of all those angels, and they rebelled in heaven and and got kicked out and everything. But he doesn't want just created uh Objects worshiping him. He wants us to worship him and serve him because we love him, and and to be a fellowship. Matthew twenty five forty one, Jesus says here that then say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. See, hell and the lake of fire was never prepared for any person. He said that it was prepared for the devil and his angels. People go there because they reject God's love when God reveals his love to them. And then uh, 1 John 3.23, and this is a commandment. We believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Uh, so it's God's will. His first purpose for all of us is to come to him, receive his spirit and heart, and join his family as a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus. Galatians Four six, and because your son's got to send forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, "Abba, Father, 
Wherefore you no more a servant but a son, if a son, than an heir of God through Christ. See, we're a joint heir with Jesus through Christ, the Spirit of Christ living in our heart. Now, for uh, election and predestination, there's so many people believe that God predestines people to heaven and hell prior to birth. And you can see from all those scriptures there, it's God's will that everybody on earth, nobody has ever been born to go to heaven, I mean to go to hell because of being predestined by God. Uh, the Apostle Paul starts talking about this, his first one, in fact, it seems, in uh, what is it, Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, uh, Paul quotes part of Genesis 25, 23. And Genesis 25 and 23 uh, is the start of the story of Jacob and Esau, two brothers. And Rebekah, their mother, had become pregnant, and then God speaks to her. And this is, I want to read you what he, what God says to uh, Rebekah in uh, Genesis 25:23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb. Now notice through what God is saying to her, he doesn't say anything about their spiritual condition. He doesn't say anything about their, the, see she has twins in her womb, and God doesn't say anything about their spiritual condition of the twins. But what he does say is their service, what he wants them to do, and, you know, different things like this. Now, listen to these words and look, and he's only talking to Rebecca here about the service of these two boys that she's going to give birth to. The Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elders shall serve the younger. Now, and it goes on to say, you know, describe him. said, Esau the elder is a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob the plain man and dwelling in tents and stuff like that. They're a different type of people and everything. But see, God was only telling Rebecca about their service, how they were going to serve. <coughs> and even one would serve the other. So there's nothing in there about their salvation. Uh, in fact, when God created us and everything, he just expected us all to love him so much that everybody would come to him. Hadn't even created hell or lake of fire or anything for us. It was only created for the devil and his angels, remember. Now, the Apostle Paul starts over here in Romans chapter 9, though, starting verse 10, 14, kind of paraphrasing what God had said to Rebecca. He changed it a little bit, but then uh, he adds and stuff like that because it was what he was sharing with them. Anyway, Romans chapter 9, verse 10, 14. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, Rebekah is Isaac's wife, for the children not yet being born of Jacob and Esau, the two boys that was being born uh, in her stomach, the, see, for the children not yet being born, neither had done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Now the purpose of God here is that purpose of their service. See, nothing about their uh, spiritual condition has been mentioned, nothing about, you know, that one's going to be spiritually good, one's going to be spiritually bad or things like this, nothing about the Spirit has been mentioned yet about these two boys, but their service. That the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It said to her, the elders shall serve the younger. See, he's just quoting it back in. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, this is written in Malachi. But it is not saying God hated Esau. Go look in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It's punctuated wrong. And, you know, punctuation was put in by people. Uh, the, the scriptures didn't have punctuation, the original did and they punctuate. And God, if you look at that, uh, well, let me flip over here real quick. Uh, Malachi chapter 1. It's got to be here, right before Matthew, so it's going to be right here. Chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. This is the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say. Now see, God is t telling the children of Israel, I've loved you. Now he's quoting back to them, 
the lie they have been telling about him. Now, you've had that happen in your life sometimes. Somebody tell a lie about you, and you go, and, and somebody, your mom and dad will say, well, how come you said this and this? I didn't say that. And then when uh, you leave them, you go find the person that told that lie on you, and you say, how come you told mom and dad that lie on me? And then you quote back the lie that your mom and dad told them that he said, or she said something. Listen to this. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid their mountains to waste. Now see, God did lay their mountains to waste, but that was uh, because of four or five hundred years after the man Esau died, his, his descendants attacked and killed some of the children of Israel and brought a curse on himself. Reading Deuteronomy like that, and, and, and about how Esau got Mount Seir and all this. But anyway, but see, says, God says, I have loved you, yet you say, and then he quotes back to them the lie they've been telling about him. So, so God never said he hated them, and that's what he was correcting there. So now, let's go back to what Jake, uh, Paul is saying here. He said, The purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. And it's written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now see, Paul knew about the Old Testament. He was one of the greatest scholars of the Old Testament before he became a Christian. And he still knew, knew that and everything. What, look at what he says after this. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And then verse 14. What shall we say? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. See, he's saying, no, God did not hate Esau. That's not what he's saying. See, he's saying, God's not unrighteous. See, Paul knew that what that scripture meant. It wasn't saying God hated Esau. God was quoting the lie back to the children of Israel that had been saying he hated Esau. Now, so, and Paul points that out. He says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? In fact, if you look in the book of James, it says, respect of persons is sin. God didn't hate Esau. Okay, so, God's not a respecter of persons for salvation like that. And you can see from all those scriptures no one's been born with God hating them. But his, it's his will that, you know, none of us perish. It, you know, that all come to him for salvation and everything like that. God did not hate Esau. And looking at, looking at Malachi chapter 1, okay. Let's, we'll go down here then uh, a little further. And we see that... Uh, Election is talked about in Second Timothy one nine. Uh, let's see, God being sovereign could elect either of the twins to carry the bloodline of His people. See, that's a service without it reflecting any on their uh, spiritual condition. Because see, after Jacob and Esau, God divided. Uh, the bloodline in 12 lines from Jacob on. He could have just as easily divided, you know, the bloodline of his people between Jacob and Esau, but he didn't. See, that was his purpose. He was going through uh, Jacob. Now, he did split the bloodline, though, into 12 paths from Jacob on. God elects all of us to a special holy calling prior to our birth. In 2 Timothy 1, 9, it says, God has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace created in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, and there's so many verses like this. Let's take a look at some of them here. In 2, uh, no, 1 Peter 1, 10, Peter says, Make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fail. Now, if election meant predestination to salvation, prior to birth, there'd be no reason for Peter to include election in this verse. He said, make your election and calling sure, because your election would already be fixed if it had to do with salvation. But see, it doesn't. It has to do with service. It'd be impossible for an elected person to fail. So Peter wouldn't have had to say, make your election and calling sure. Uh, there wouldn't be anything you could do about your election. See, so it doesn't have to do with salvation. It's service. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation 
which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. See, he's talking about the elect, God's elect, the children of Israel. Now, what did he elect them to do? They were to be the priest on earth to all the world, like we saw a while ago, uh, that the promise in the temple was to people from all around the world that would come. You know, strangers, they could come before the temple too and pray and, and be healed, be delivered, or whatever their problem was, uh, would be corrected. And also in Psalm 67, like David says, God be merciful and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving health among all the nations. See, the Jews were supposed to be been God's light to the world. We as Christians are supposed to be God's light to the world and priests to the world today. And it's 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore, in, Paul says, I endured all things for the elect's sake. See, because the Jews were refusing to accept Christ as their Savior and Messiah, but he endured everything to reach out to them because he loved them so much. He wanted them to know about Jesus. They left him for dead. They beat him up so many times and everything. But he still, he loved them so much, he kept telling them about Jesus that they might obtain salvation too. So he says, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain salvation. Now if election had to do with salvation, See, they'd already have salvation, but they didn't. They were elect in service. God's chosen people on earth to serve. Now, in, uh, well, Paul says in Second Thessalonians 2, 9, says that this is why people, you know, go to hell. It says, even him whose coming is after working of Satan with all the power, signs, and wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. When God brings his message to them, they don't receive it. Now, and again, Romans 1, 19-20, which I read a while ago, we're all without excuse because God has revealed himself to everyone. We're all without excuse. Uh, and in Romans 9, the chapter talking about election there, verses, the first nine verses, Paul mentions his continual sorrow for the heart of his kinsmen in the flesh, the Jews. He, if, he had, if he believed that election had anything to do with salvation, it'd be useless for him to be concerned about their you know, condition because it couldn't be changed. So he could concern himself with other things, but he didn't. He said he, he was just concerned about his kinsmen, the Jews, and for them to receive, you know, salvation. First Timothy 5.21. Now this clearly shows that election, well, all of them clearly show it, but anyway, this one, in First Timothy 5.21, the Apostle Paul says, I charge thee before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one another, doing nothing but partiality. See, Apostle Paul was smart. He, he was one of the smartest, uh, well-educated people there was about the Old Testament, the ways of God and everything, about the scriptures up to that day and everything. For him to come along and say, I charge thee before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels. He wouldn't call angels elect because angels have nothing to do with salvation. They don't get saved. They're created beings, and they're only... Uh, purpose is to go do God's will in ministering to us, you know, God's children and other people, and, and to take messages to people, and things like this, you know, just special elect callings of service. He, he wouldn't say, you know, elect angels if it had to do anything with salvation. Apostle Paul, you know, knew that angels had nothing to do with salvation. Then Matthew 5, 20, 41, Jesus says, you know, then shall the king say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So here Jesus is saying too that, you know, no one was prepared for hell or lake of fire. No one has ever been. Now see, that is a total blasphemy, speaking against God, to say God hated somebody and he would have them born on earth and let them traipse through life and everything, and then go off into a lake of fire for no reason at all. See, that's not the kind of God we have. In fact, the kind of God we have is talked about in John 3.16. Now listen up to this now. 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, the Calvinists, the people that believe that Jesus predestined people to heaven and hell, say, well, Jesus only died for those who, you know, God loved and is going to, you know, uh, have them go to heaven. But now, change that verse just a little bit, or think about it, you know, don't change it. But anyway, think about it for like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to suffer the perfect walk of faith, the sprinkling of his blood on the cross, and dying that terrible death on the cross, so that whosoever was already predestined, elected to salvation would be saved. I said, it don't make sense. Jesus had no reason to come and die on the cross if God had already predestined everybody to heaven or hell. See, what was he dying for? Their conditions were already set up, if that was the case. But see, it's not. And you know what's going on here? Well, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come and go through all of his suffering and all that great work he did and everything for us because he loved us so much and everything. And that's the devil's way of trying to get back at Jesus is to deny his service, deny his walk of faith, deny his death on the cross, his love for us, and, and to say it was all useless. There wasn't any reason for him to do that. God's already predestined everybody to heaven and hell. See, the devil hates Jesus so much because of what Jesus did for us that he will do anything to keep people from turning to God. See, he deceives us. And and he has control and power around this world and everything like that. And in 1 John 5, 19, it says he controls the world. Now, how does he do that? How does the devil do it? By deceiving people, like in 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, it says that uh, forgive others lest you give Satan advantage. See, when we violate God's law, we open a door for him to come in and get control in our life. Now, there's a lot of people, most people in our society, don't even want to have anything to do with God's word. The devil's controlling them, they don't know it. But you and I as Christians, now, when I fail to forgive, I'm giving Satan advantage in my life. I'm missing my prayers being answered and things like this. Also, in First uh, Peter 3, 7, says, Husband, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, and being joint heirs of grace of life, lest your prayers be hindered. See, there's a lot of things we as Christians do that allow our prayers to be hindered and give Satan advantage in our lives. And, and all across our nation, we have Christians in hospital beds sick because they're holding unforgiveness. Or, you know, something else, you know, they're... they're different type things like this that are blocking God's love in them and they're giving Satan advantage. Now see, and the devil is deceiving people so much and saying God's in control of everything you don't need to pray. Well no, the scripture says the devil's in control because we are neglecting God's word in our lives and we're supposed to be walking by faith which means we're accepting God's word into our hearts. See, we're supposed to be accepting God's word into our heart and walking by faith but when we reject his word, like he wants us to teach a class or do something, we reject his will and his word of service to us, we're giving Satan advantage in our life. Because it's not just an option or a smorgasbord, pick what you want. God has a special holy calling. And that's in what, it was 2 Timothy 1, 9 again. He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace created in Christ Jesus before the world began. So we need to each be seeking that holy calling and sharing that God loves everybody and everybody you meet. God wants them to become a child of God. So good day and God bless you. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network.
KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com.